Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Actually, before I begin my halaqa, uh, just coming here has been a blessing in so many ways. Can everyone hear me with this? Okay. Um, first of all, Medina Islamic Center, right? So I went to Medina, stayed in Medina about six, seven years. Coming here, met one of the people I was interacting in Medina with, Sheikh Ahmed. And, you know, subhanAllah, you know, there are like a lot of uh, feelings and a lot of stuff that comes back uh, just thinking about Medina. Khair. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallama wa baraka ala nabihina wa habibina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd, a'udhu billah min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. قل يا أيها الكافرون لا أعبد ما تعبدون ولا أنتم عابدون ما أعبد ولا أنا عابد ما عبدتم ولا أنتم عابدون ما أعبد لكم دينكم ولي دين صدق الله العظيم رب الشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وزدنا علما اللهم أرنا الحق حقا ورزقنا التباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا ورزقنا اجتنابه الحمد لله we start and begin with the praise and glory of Almighty Allah سبحانه وتعالى and we send the best of salutations upon his last and final prophet and messenger Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم we ask Allah to grant us all beneficial knowledge and to give us benefit through what we have learned so far and to increase all of us in knowledge. And we ask Allah to make us clearly see the haqq, the truth, and give us the ability to follow that truth. And we ask Allah to allow us to clearly see the batil, the falsehood, and give us the ability to avoid and abstain and refrain from that falsehood. What's the topic for today's halaqa? Staying steadfast after Ramadan. MashaAllah, this Ramadan, I'm not sure how it was observed here, but like, MashaAllah, where Harun was and myself were, we saw a lot of people come. And I think truly it was refreshing because after COVID, seeing that many numbers of people and the interest that was there within the community. It showed that people care. You know, when you have a blessing and it's kind of taken away for a moment and then it is given back to you. So there's a realization of how important that blessing is. I don't, I'm not sure. Was it the same situation environment here? More people than usual? Ever before? Yeah. Why? Because I truly felt that during the pandemic, there was this realization of how valuable masajid are, how valuable deen is. You know, when you are in a place of vulnerability, when something is kind of taken away from you, that's truly when you realize, wow, subhanAllah, there's something missing. So maybe that was a wake-up call. And if that was the case, subhanAllah, then truly whatever can help us get back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a blessing. Whatever... Even if it's a musibah, if it can help you take back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a blessing. So, 
Given that the environment and the culture and the vibe, Ramadan vibes were just, are still just fresh in our memories. And it's not even been a week since Eid, has it? No, it's not even a week. And to see so many people come back again, mashallah, this is, this is very promising. And alhamdulillah, you know, seeing the demographic that is present here today, you know, inshallah, I want to talk about this later towards my talk. But, but alhamdulillah, you know, there is this feel of ease. In our, it should be in all our hearts that, alhamdulillah, there is something good that is happening. Right? Because at the end of the day, what truly matters is the basics. At the end of Ramadan, I said, 27th night, 29th night, the night before Eid, masjid is completely packed. You don't need an invitation to come to the masjid. You are already invited to come to the masjid. Every single day when, when, you hear, when the call is made for Hayal al-Salah, Hayal al-Falah, you don't need another reason for that. Like for example, a lot of times we are attracted, okay, who is the speaker? Which masjid? Best parking, right? Ease of coming and going. All those things are secondary. Think about what's the main reason for you to come to the masjid, be present at the masjid, be connected with the community. There's one simple reason because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has invited us all. Like, come to success. And if that is not like a main motivating reason for you to attend the masjid, be regularly part of the masjid, then there is a problem in fundamentals. There is problem in basics. There is that. So, Alhamdulillah, keeping that up, mashallah, it's a very good sign. Now, talking about istiqama, um, everyone knows that basic tendency which happens that towards the end of Ramadan, people reach a climax, and Eid serves as that anti climax, right? All of a sudden, all those gains that you made in Ramadan come Eid, the day after Eid, it goes and has a free fall, spiral down. So, let's try to get out of that cycle. Again, it's only a few days since Ramadan has departed us. Alhamdulillah, I think everyone in this room had made some strides and some progress during Ramadan on their own self. But what is problematic is, year after year, when you go from zero to one, come Eid, back to zero. Zero to one, back to zero. Zero to one, back to zero. And that's why Imam Ibn Rajab al-Hambari, he said, Eid is not truly for the one who is dressed in the most fashionable clothes. You know, I'm paraphrasing here. He's not the one who is dressed in the most fashionable clothes. But truly, it's the one who has left and abandoned sin and has gone on to a way of obedience. Truly, Eid is for them to celebrate. So, year after year, the cycle of Ramadan, you go from zero to one. And then come Eid, days after Eid, you're back to zero. So no, how, no matter how many Ramadans you will get in your lives, true net gain will never happen. Net gain will never happen. So how do you break out of that cycle? Let's say you go from zero to one or zero to two, you come back to one. Iman is a thing which will fluctuate. Ramadan, there is an element of spirituality. There is barakah in Ramadan, no doubt about this. There is shaitan which is locked up. 
Now shaitan is not locked up. There is this element of barakah in Ramadan which is not there. Allah facilitates a lot of things in Ramadan. Personal experiences, which you perhaps all share is, fasting in Ramadan is easier than fasting outside Ramadan. Alright? So, if we can manage ourselves of not to come back to zero year after year, but like let's say if you have gone from one, zero to one, then come back to 0.5 or anywhere in that scale, and then come next Ramadan, we take another two steps forward, half a step back, after that another Ramadan, same as the approach, then and only then we will continuously improve. Otherwise, we will be stuck in that cultural cycle, Ramadan comes, Ramadan goes. Salah comes, Salah goes. Friday comes, Friday goes. Saturday night halakas, after that it's over. So what is the purpose behind this? Like if there is no net gain, if there is nothing that is coming truly <coughs> tangible out of this whole, whole process of training which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is facilitating for us, then there is something wrong. And similarly that applies, that methodology, that process applies for halakas as well. Like every Saturday night, if halakas isn't helping put our practical life and improving our practical life, making a difference in that, then again, we need to take a step back and look, there is something which is fundamentally wrong. So, the element of barakah is there in Ramadan? No doubt about it. I don't think anyone here can dispute that. And you know, by the way, this is not a Jummah khutbah. You know what happens in a Jummah khutbah? In Jummah khutbah, I talk, and if you talk, your reward is gone. So, in this, if you talk back, what happens? You're good. Alright, you're good. Talking about Medina, right? Uh, SubhanAllah, in, um, um, there are some memories that I do want to share today. So, inshallah, we have, we have ample time today, right? No one's in rush? Okay, alhamdulillah. So, in Medina... A lot of times in Masjid Nabi, you if you have been there, you will see there are people who give halaqat in Masjid Nabi to the students. Um, and then, you know, there are some special halaqat that happen, which most of the public is not aware of. Like you have to be part and parcel of that community in order to know where those halaqats are taking place within Masjid and Nabi. And they are public halaqats, they aren't like very secluded. <coughs> so one of the imams of Masjid Nabi, Sheikh Abdul Muhsan Al-Qasim, um, you know, mashallah, like the, the effort in bringing structured ilm to Masjid An-Nabawi that he has made, subhanAllah, it's unparalleled. And his halaqat actually start, it's, it's, it happens every single day on different topics. And his, top, and his halaqat happen after Aisha. And this happens on the eastern side of Masjid An-Nabawi, which is the new expansion. So what happens is after Aisha, they, most of the people that exit out, it's a time for women to go to the rawda. So you have that corridor and pathway that is, you know, made. And this was pre-COVID, right? Two, two, three years ago. And his halakat would take place on the other side. So still it is open, but this is an area which is almost on the far edge of Masjid and Nabawi. So you'll have students sitting there. And he will be going over basic mutuns for the first 15 to 20 minutes. And the way he would conduct his halakas is... Those who will be sitting in front of him, they are all fair play. 
So a person like me, he, I would always go sit behind. So why, is, why are they all fair play? He would start off by, his, you know, any matan, whether it's Baypuniya or Nawakatul Islam, whatever it is, he would start off by saying, and then if he makes eye contact with you, that means you have to finish the next line. Then if he makes eye contact with you, you have to continue on. So that's how his halakas would, would uh, carry on in Masjid al-Nabawi. Alright, so there, sitting here, inshallah I make eye contact with you, all, you get, all of you are fair game. Okay? So, good thing there's nothing behind me here where you can go and hide. So, alhamdulillah in Ramadan, the element of barakah is there. But, think about the actions of Ramadan. What is exclusive to Ramadan itself? You know, we say Ramadan is about fasting. Ramadan is about qiyam. It's about charity. It's about khair, goodness, anything in general. But what is exclusive to Ramadan itself? From the a'mal that we do, from the actions that we do. Saum? Okay. He said saum. Fasting. Is that exclusive to Ramadan? It's not, right? So you have like the hadith, Man Ramadan, min shawwal. Whoever fasts the entire month of Ramadan, then six days from after shawwal, what's the ajr for it? As if he has fasted the entire year. So you see, even fasting, which is the big part of Ramadan, it's not only exclusive to Ramadan. It is happening in Shawwal as well. Right? That Shawwal, six fasting, six fasts of Shawwal, it's a motivation for you to continue. Furthermore, that does not stop here. What, is, what else is Sunnah to fast? What days? Mondays and Thursdays. What else? The white days. Okay, what are the white days? Good. So 13th, 14th, and 15th. And there is a hadith of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who said, Whoever fasts these three days, and Abu Hurairah said, Awsani Khalili, that my intimate, my close friend, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said that he advised me of three things Salatul Duha, Witr, and fasting three days of the month. So all these months, which are after Ramadan as well, there are opportunities for a person to fast. So that hadith, which is usually quoted in Ramadan, that Hadith puts you in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying That fasting is for me And I shall reward for fasting Now the question to you is Is that only applicable in Ramadan? No, it's for any fasting that you have done Any fasting that you will do Throughout the entire year It's applicable to every type of fasting Right? Whether there are six fastings of Shawwal Whether that's on Arafah or, or Ashura whether that's on Mondays and Thursdays, whether that's on the three white days that you will fast. Again, all of that and the rewards which are associated with fasting itself are still applicable. So what's the difference in Ramadan versus outside Ramadan? When it comes to fasting, yeah. Uh, oh, when it comes to fasting or just actions in general? No, when it comes to fasting. We we're, we're taking one by one, right? So he said, so let's say fasting. What's the difference between fasting and Ramadan? Yes. You have to speak a little louder. You have to do zakatul fitr. Okay, that's an interesting. I was not thinking of this. That's true. So zakatul fitr is your your zakat of the of the errors and mistakes you may have committed. Good reward 
So one element of reward is that the fasting that you're doing in Ramadan, that's actually fard. The hukam is there, right? That's fard. Whereas fasting that you're doing outside that, that's, that comes into nafila, right? Optional fasting. Similarly, maghrib that you prayed, that's what? Fard. Anything that you'll pray afterwards is optional. So does that mean like reward? When we say salah in general, right? Salah is in general that, that you know, there is that element of fard, but then there's other elements as well, like which is the optional prayers. You have the reward which is associated with it. You had your hand raised? So the only difference is fard will always have a supersede optional things, right? So the fasting in Ramadan, if someone doesn't do it, what happens? They get a what? Yeah. Good. So last week, if you're older, if you're like, you're good, you have the health fasting, and you don't fast, because you just don't feel like it, then your day of Eid, you will not be happy. Okay, the day of Eid, you will not be happy, yes. That's true. Sixty people. So kafara is when actually you break the fast, right? Let's say like, oh, I'm not feeling fasting today. I have an exam today, right? That person is will be held sinful. Same thing with prayer, man. I don't feel like praying maghrib today. You know what? I will do it tomorrow. It's the same thing. You will be actually held in contempt. Whereas, you know, subhanallah, as far as optional prayers are concerned, you skip that, nothing will happen. Same thing with 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 the. Um, Optional salahs and siyam as well. You don't fast for the six days of shawwal, it's not a big deal. Like, you will not get any sin for it, but don't expect reward for it either. Alright? A lot of times we have accustomed ourselves to the lowest standard, the lowest bar. What's the bare minimum I can do? Remember, bare minimum, if they're in, on the day of judgment, the first thing that will be asked is about what? Salah? Right? And if our salah is deficient, Right? There are some mistakes and things in the fara'id, in the obligations. Where will they be compensated from? Thing, right? From the sunnahs, from the optional prayers. Same thing with fasting. Where will that be compensated from? But if our standard is just the bare minimum, okay, I want to I wanna set my bar so low that I will just do what the fara'id are. And then think about this. On the day of judgment, we will be questioned on the fastings, on the basics of religion. But don't expect that I will have the ranks and the elevation in paradise as the pious people would do. Right? That, that simply will, will not be there. So, our target is what? Where do we want to set ourselves? Like, is it to get by? Okay, this is my standard. I want to finish this. Just like I want to do my zakah, my, when I want to do my, my hajj, get it over with. Fast and get it over with. Prayer, get it over with. Or do I actually want to see some net results, net gains, right? Like I'm improving myself year after year. So it's not like I'm from zero to one, back to zero, zero to one, back to zero. Yes. MashaAllah. Beautiful. And that's the hadith of Prophet If you're asking something from Allah, what should you ask? 
Al-Firdaus. What's Firdaus? The highest place in paradise. Aspiring towards Al-Firdaus Al-A'la. That's your, that's what you're like. Okay, I want to get there, but how do I get there? So, in Ramadan, you have this element of Farida. Outside that, you have this option. Everything is optional, right? As far as fasting is concerned. Now, in Ramadan, what is another action that you, that happens? Laylatul Qadr. So what is a person supposed to do in Laylatul Qadr? Now there is this particular hadith. Where Man Sama Ramadan, whoever fast in the month of Ramadan, right? Then there is Man blank Laylatul Qadr, Iman Muhtisaba, Qiyam, right? So in Laylatul Qadr it's supposed to be Qiyam, right? Throughout Ramadan there is supposed to be Qiyam. Now the word qiyam is extremely, extremely generic. Now the there are ulama who have differentiated between salatul tarawih and qiyamul layl, right? And then there are says who are like it's all the same. Well, or sorry, there are ulama who have differentiated between tarawih and tahajjud, but they all have said they all fall under salatul layl, which is qiyamul layl, the night prayer. Now is night prayer only done in Ramadan? No, it's not. Right? It's done outside Ramadan. That's why the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha about Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's night prayer, she's saying, La tas'al antulihinna wa husnihin. Whether that's in Ramadan or outside Ramadan, don't ask me how long it was and how beautiful it was. Right? So he continued after or even outside Ramadan as well. There wasn't a differentiation when it came to his night prayer when it, as far as tahajjud is concerned, inside Ramadan as well. Now, every single night, last third part of the night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, is there anyone who wants something that I shall grant it to them? Every single night, Allah is saying, is there anyone who wants forgiveness? I shall give it to them. Is there anyone who is in hajjah? I shall fulfill their hajjah, for, for fulfill their need. And at the same time, you know, every single night, during the third part of the night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as it befits him, he descends to the lowest of heavens, addresses people with these sayings. So, this is not only exclusive to Ramadan. So you have fasting, you had Qiyamul Layl. Again, in Ramadan, more rewarded, extra multipliers. Outside Ramadan, still happening. What else do you do in Ramadan you cannot do outside Ramadan? Good. Etikaf. Alright, can you do etikaf outside Ramadan? Yes, no? Yes, you can actually. So in Ramadan, the etikaf, the last 10 nights of etikaf that you do, that's considered the sunnah etikaf of Prophet ﷺ. Some people have said it's sunnah mu'akkada, or some people have even gone far to the extent to say that's, that's, that's sunnah al-kifaya. However, as far as nafal etikaf is concerned, I hope next time you're every time... You enter the masjid, you make this niyyah of i'tikaf that, Oh Allah, for however long I'm in the masjid, I'm doing i'tikaf for your sake. So, i'tikaf, as far as the technical, the fiqhi aspect of it is concerned, the minimum is one day and one night. Any day, any time. Right? The sunnah of it is the last 10 nights of Ramadan. Nafal, any day, any time, anywhere within the masjid. Like even if it's for a few brief seconds. But the technical side of it, the fiqhi side of it, and the reason I'm going into this, like, man, I was told, mashallah, you guys have this every Saturday, so they're, 
It's not like I'm talking to beginners here. I hope that's correct, right? And if it is, just raise your hand and say like, okay, explain this to me. So the fiqh side is someone takes a, takes a nether. A nether is an oath saying, uh, I will, if, if something happens, I will do itikaf. So what's the minimum requirement for itikaf? One day, one night. So moving on, so you have itikaf, which is a possibility, right? Anytime you go to the masjid for a halaqa, you are surrounded by angels, you know, they're, they're lined up and stacked all the way to the heavens to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making dua for you while you're sit, you sit here, regardless of whether you're daydreaming or whether you're paying attention. Yes. Seeking the night of Qadr. Okay. That is exclusively in Ramadan. So that process itself of seeking the night of Qadr, it's reward worthy. But anything which is associated with the actions itself that you perhaps would do on the night of Qadr, isn't that transferable outside Ramadan? True. Alright, so we said Sawm, Qiyam, and Etikaf to some extent, yes. Good. Quran. Quran is as much rewarded um, per letter which you know normally a person would receive but in Ramadan yes that multiplier is there is extra but the hadith were in, I'm sure everyone has heard right man min falahu hasanat right whoever recites one letter from the book of Allah they get 10 rewards and alif lam mim are three letters is that only in Ramadan or outside Ramadan too? It's outside Ramadan as well. <coughs> on the day of judgment, there will be two things who will intercede on a person's behalf. Fasting and Quran. Right? They both will intercede on a person's behalf on the day of judgment. Now, is that... Does that anywhere in that hadith say those were the ones which happened only in Ramadan? No. So that's outside Ramadan. How do you become Ahlul Qur'an? The people of Qur'an, right? Ahlullahi wa khasatu. People who are so close and near and dear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they are known as Ahlullah, the people of Allah. That relationship needs to continue after Ramadan with the Qur'an as well. So, you have fasting, you have qiyam, you have itikaf, you have Qur'an. So we said, okay, so when it comes to Salatul Layl, remember at the time of Prophet the word Tarawih itself wasn't there. Alright, so even Tarawih, if it's exclusive to Ramadan, it's still part of Salatul Layl. So as a whole, Salatul Layl, it's done inside and outside Ramadan. So basically, you get the message here every Amal that was happening in Ramadan. It's still fair game outside Ramadan as well. You will be rewarded. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not let your a'mal, your, your good deeds would go to waste. But that's not the purpose. A'mal are only the means, guys. The acts of worship that we do, they're only the means. What is the purpose? Taqwa is the result. 
You are fasting so that you develop taqwa. So, purpose is the pleasure of Allah, which is reached through وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّةِ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Right? You get to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through ibadah. Alright? The purpose we were claiming, Allah has not created the ins and the jinn except for His worship. To Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah is saying, وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ Worship your Lord until you get يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ to certainty. So, you have these acts of worship. So, anyone who's taking notes, this is where, you know, like it's going to get a little technical. You have these acts of worship, which is Siyam, Qiyam, Zakat, Charity, Sadaqah, Quran. Alright? And then you have the overall purpose, which is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until you get to certainty. <coughs> this is being told to, the, to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the best of prophets. What is that certainty? Death. Alright, so this is so interesting. We had a janazah, I had a janazah today. So subhanAllah, it was, it was a very interesting janazah. Was anyone there, by the way? I don't know for janazah. So it, it was an interesting, the reason I say it was an interesting janazah is the person who passed away was a Muslim. His entire family was Christian. Initially, they wanted to cremate him. Alright? And then, alhamdulillah, people intervened and convinced the family to give them a proper Muslim funeral and burial. And no one knew of this brother who passed away. And there was about like 100, 150 people who attended the Muslims, plus his non-Muslim family was uh, separate from those 150 people who prayed janazah over him. And you know, so what was quite remarkable is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets his, the things that, you know, the, his, his will is carried out. Right? We think we have a plan, but truly we don't have a plan. We are all, all under Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. Like, how is that someone who's so random? 150 people come who they do not know, but they pray janazah over him. Like, think about this for a minute and a moment. Like, he was, he was about to get cremated, but like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent people to pray janazah over him. You know, that's the power of iman that we all carry. Like, we don't think that how deep our connection with each other is. And especially, if we are coming to the masjid, that connection gets deeper and deeper. Alright? With ilm, that connection gets even further. Yes. So siyam means fasting and qiyam means night prayer. So that, that connection is there, which is the connection of faith. The further you work on it, the better it will get. So what was it saying before this? Yeah, what is that certainty, right? So let's think that certainty, everyone who is not even a Muslim who believes in any other religion, they would say the most certain thing in life is death. There is no question about it. Every single person who is born has to pass away. Right? That's just, that's just an absolute fact. There are no, no ifs and buts about it. What happens after that, that's where people are debating about. That's what people are confused about. 
You come into this world, you did not have a choice. You leave this world, you will not have a choice. Like none of us would be able to ransom our way out from whenever we see the angel of death. So that is yaqeen, that is the certainty. Now that certainty has three levels. First level is ilmul yaqeen, the knowledge of that certainty. We all know we will be passing away. That's ilmul yaqeen. Then there is aynul yaqeen. And then there's haqqul yaqeen. Okay? So, we all have the knowledge of that certainty. What is that certainty? We will be passing away. Alright? But we don't have aynul yaqeen. Aynul yaqeen is witnessing it from your eyes. When will we have aynul yaqeen? When we see the angel of death extracting our soul. That's aynul yaqeen. Now that you are seeing it. Think about it as the same. Okay. And then, Hakkul Yaqeen is the absolute reality is when our souls would have departed our bodies and they would be made to stand in front of Allah. That's how. Now, you have, you have not seen it from your eyes, but you have actually witnessed and experienced it. So, same thing. Three things. Today, all day it was raining. Did you know it was going to rain? Can you know before it will be raining? Yeah, you can. You like look at the weather, right? Everyone has phones now. Right, to, to an extent that you know it's going to be raining. Um, you look at the clouds, rain will come pretty soon. What is that? Ilm. Right? You know it will happen. When it starts to rain, you are witnessing, you are seeing it from your own eyes. You go outside, you get wet, you have experienced. That's haqqul yaqeen. And same thing Allah says about uh, Jahannam as well in Surah Al-Takathur. That... Um, that no, they, had they known of the ilm, the knowledge of the certainty, that what, what is that certainty? Of Jahannam. They will be made to see Jahannam. Then that certainty will get, when they see it, to Aynul Yaqeen. They have witnessed, they have seen it from their own eyes. So, Allah saying, وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ Worship Allah till you get to that certainty. Right? All three levels. Not just one level. All three levels. Have knowledge. Get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to that stage where you have, you have certainty of that knowledge. Ain, Worship Allah and ta'bud Allah ka'annaka tara. Worship Allah as if you see Him. Even if you do not see Him, but He's seeing you. And then Haqqul Yaqeen is actually when you meet and stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, worship Him till that extent. That's your deadline. That's when you take a break. So, coming back to this topic, and I want to go in Surah Al-Kafirun to understand this word of ibadah better. When we say ibadah, worship, right? We're like, Siyam, Saum, fasting, Qiyam, night prayer, Sadaqah, charity, Qiratul Quran, recitation of Quran. That's worship, right? We prayed Maghrib. What is that called? Yeah, we, are, we did an act of ibadah. That's worship. Now the question is what do we do between Maghrib to Isha? Let's say we were not having halaqah. We're still, we're still doing ibadah. You're sleeping, you're still. You cannot get out of that realm of ibadah. 
of, of servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'een. That, this word of ibadah is so deep and comprehensive. Like, which is your mission? This mission does not take a pause. It does not take a pause. It is only strengthened with acts, a'mal, like salah, like zakat, like halaqatul ilm, right? Circles of knowledge. It only enhances that. It does not take a step back from there. So your mission, the reason, the purpose that you were created for is for ibadah. That ibadah is not limited to time. It's not limited to a place. Alright? It's not limited to the masjid. You are outside masjid, you are still engaged in ibadah. Alright? So see, when we say worship, when we, tra- when we try to translate it, it limits that scope. And that's why Quran is untranslatable. Quran is untranslatable. Why is Quran untranslatable? Inna anzalnahu Quranan Arabiya. Allah has revealed the Quran in Arabic. Translations are the works of human. It will give you majority of the message, the gist of the message. The translation of Quran, it's not the not the work of Allah. Whereas Quran itself in Arabi, that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there will always be a difference. Between what the Khalik has revealed versus what the makhluk has produced, what the creation has come up with. So there will always be that difference. So when we say ibad, Allah saying liya'budun, who's taking Arabic or learning Arabic here? You two? Three? Four? Okay. Five? All right. So sorry to put you guys all on the spot here. But remember, I said you guys are all fair game, right? You as well? Yes, I know you are. Alright, the word ya'budun, it's an example of what kind of fa'il? Mudari'? Alright, it's a mudari'. And mudari' is you feed the mudari' indicates what? Past? Istimrar, yes. Mudari' indicates something which is continuous. Which is happening now and it is happening later in the future. Continuously it's happening. So Allah is saying, you have been created for continuous worship. It's not like periodic worship. That okay, in Ramadan, I did all this thing and now I'm free from it. You go outside the masjid. Okay, it was in, inside the masjid, I was a Muslim. Outside it, I am something else. 24 hours a day, like even when you're sleeping, you are still under that domain, under that purpose for what you were created. It's the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whoever realizes that fact, and they strengthen that fact with the a'mal, ultimately they get to the, per- to, to the benefit of that, which is the taqwa. And what is taqwa? How would you translate taqwa in Arabic, in English? God consciousness, right? What is God consciousness? Allah is watching you, right? Fasting, that is what it's instilled, right? You're outside the masjid, still Allah is watching you. You're always under Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's watch But that purpose, that reason Why you were created To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It's continuous So let me go and inshallah Talk about Surah Al-Kafirun for a, for a moment It will help you understand This, this word ibadah better, right? So ibadah, if you look into the What ulama have mentioned As to what's the definition of ibadah It says Ismun jami'un likulli ma yuhibbuhu wa yarda Min qawlin wa fi'l Zahiran wa batina It is a comprehensive word which includes everything that you do to please Allah from your sayings and from your actions 
Again, actions of the heart as well. Whether they are inward or they are outward. So that's what ibadah is. Basically, everything that you do, everything that you do, if it is being done to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is considered ibadah. And ibadah is not limited. So when you go in Suratul Kafirun, remember why was Suratul Kafirun revealed? It was revealed because the people of Quraysh wanted to negotiate. They were like, okay, how about you worship some of our gods, we will worship some of your god. Like, let's compromise here. Right? Similarly, something that you know, a lot of times some of you may see in, see in colleges as well. You know what? Let me go experience. Let me go to the church services as well. Let me go see what. Let me see what what they do. You know, honestly, I got this question today as well. Like, like, can I go visit and see what they do? I was like, okay. At least know yourself first. What you worship, what you stand for. So, what do you stand for first of all? So this is what people of Mecca they came to Prophet وسلم, presented this. Uh, you know, reasoning and argument saying, okay, we understand you have gotten, you have, you have followers, they recognize him as, as a credible power, let's negotiate a little. So Allah is saying, Qul, say Muhammad sallallahu O group of disbelievers. And remember, I'm not going to go into the word, the exact details and the full on tafsir of it, it will take a lot, a lot of time. But the gist of the message that I want to convey from it, you will hear the word لا أعبد ما تعبدون ولا أنتم عابدون ما أعبد ولا أنا عابد ما عبدتم ولا أنتم عابدون ما أعبد it's Repeated many times, right? The conjugation of the word of ibadah عين با اندال أعبد تعبد عابدون Repeated many times So what is it that you are saying in Surah Al-Kafirun? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this is a clear indication. What do you stand for? La a'budu ma ta'budun. It means, I will not worship what you are worshipping. Alright, that's the English translation of it. La a'budu ma ta'budun. I will not worship. When I say I will not worship, what am I indicating? Past, present or future? Future, good. Ma ta'budun, what you have been worshipping, or what you worship. Meaning, what you are worshipping and what you are continuing to worship. وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ Neither were you worshippers. عَابِدُون It's a ism. Right? An ism is always stronger than a fi'l. A noun is always stronger than a verb. Alright? A noun is always stronger than a verb. So Allah is saying, Prophet is being told to say, وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ You do not worship what I worship. You were not the worshippers of what I worship. Wala ana abid, neither was I ever a worshipper of Mata'budun, what you are worshipping and continue to worship. And then the ayah is repeated again. Wala antum abiduna ma'abud. Okay. You know this ayah, wala antum abiduna ma'abud? This verse number three and verse number five of Surah Al Kafirun. Right. One more time I will recite this. Wala antum abiduna ma arbud. Is there any difference between ayah number three and ayah number five? Who said yes? Alright, so like no, just from hearing it, let's not go into the meaning yet. When I say it, 
Wala antum abiduna ma abud. Is there any difference here? No? Right? Is there any word which is different that you hear? Any added wow, any deleted alif? Exact same. So what's the difference? MashaAllah. Beautiful. So, Wala ana abidun, which is the first verse, right? Like, I'm not a worshiper of what you have, what you worship, and will continue to worship. I don't belong. That's not me. But the third and the fifth, as he said, it's Ismul Fa'il. Antum abiduna ma a'bud. First is talking about who we worship. Ma a'bud. You cannot worship the one who, or, or the one I worship, you do not worship. Meaning, he's talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as a result, second is, ma'abud, the way I worship and the quality of worship that I do is not what you do. That's the difference. Other people have said that applies to hal, meaning that applies to the current situation, and the later words, it applies for. The next situation, the, the thing in the future. But remember, this is how deep our religion and our deen and the knowledge of our deen is. Exact same verses, but two different meanings. Exact same verses, but the way it has come in the surah, indicating two different verses, two, two different meanings. So the word ibadah, again, what is that word ibadah? That's our purpose in life. That's not periodic. That's not limited to Ramadan. It's not limited to Masjid. It's not limited. It's not limited. It's inclusive. It's comprehensive. It's an overarching thing that we do. Who do we worship? Allah. You will not. You are not worshiping the one who I worship. You're telling me to worship idols? Ma'abud. Right? I worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can there be a comparison? And now when you talk about Allah, is there, and you know this is what um, Ibrahim ibn Adham from the Tabi'een, someone came to him, he said like, if I want to sin, what should I do? He said, okay, go to a place where Allah cannot see you. Do it, do it at a time. Do, do, go to a place where Allah cannot see you. Go to a place which is not owned by Allah. And the third thing is I'm forgetting it. But like, he's like, go to a place where Allah cannot see you. And second, go to a place which is not owned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sorry? Yeah, do it in a time where... Jazakallah khairan. Do it at a time where Allah cannot see you. And go to a place which is not owned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like that's our purpose in life, right? Like to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that worship has to be continuous. So first element is Allah. We're worshiping Allah throughout our lives. Number two is this is where Ramadan comes in. The quality of your worship. Right? You're not going through motions. You're not sitting here every Saturday. You know, for nothing. Same thing. Every salah that you're doing it, you're not doing it out of repetition. 
Because there's something you have to get over with. Every Ramadan that you're blessed with in this life, it's not that, okay, everyone's fasting, it's part of Muslim culture, so I'm fasting. No, that zero to one, and then from one to two, two to three, four, three to five, those steps need to happen in order for this quality of worship to improve. So, worship Allah till you get to that certainty that continuous improvement needs to happen throughout. Right? Ramadan is your yearly training. So, yearly training, how has that affected you? How would you be doing it after Ramadan that you go outside Ramadan now? How will you maintain it? You are still worshiping Allah. Right? So, that is continuous. How you worship Allah, what is the quality of your worship? These are the a'mal, how continuous you are on these actions will determine that. Where, how, how regular you are, even after Ramadan, of praying in congregation. What's your relationship with Qur'an al-Kareem when it comes to the mere recitation of it? Now, this was part one. I still have, I think, 10 minutes left. 10, 15? Okay. I want to go into another part here. Which is, again, linked with ibadah. So you, you, just to quickly recap, you get Ramadan so that you can go from 1 to 2, 2 to 3, 3 to 4, 4 to 5, year after year. Not that you stay in that circle from 0 to 1. Your purpose is to worship Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there forever, right? Every single moment of your life is spent in ibadah. The quality of your worship is determined through the actions. The actions that you have done in Ramadan are transferable to the months that will follow it. Okay. Now, again talking about ibadah, the reason you have been worshipped, been created. There are two things which are required in order to fulfill this. First is sabr. What does sabr mean? See, this is where again, English is failing us. Patience is part of sabr, but it's not sabr in its, in its entirety. Sabr also means perseverance. When we say patience, it has a negative connotation to it. Whereas perseverance, you persevere to get to, to, to a stage. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Prophet sallallahu is saying, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاسْطَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا Command your family and your people towards salah, wastabir, and be steadfast. So that's how it's doing. But you know, like that ta is included. The root letters is sad ba and ra, wastabir alayha. Another, ya yuhaladina amanusbiru, wasabiru, warabitu. Oh, you have believed, be patient, persevere, and guard. So, subhanallah, this element of sabr, and there's the hadith where you know we say, okay. We're not supposed to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sabr because Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was passing by a person and um, this person was asking Allah that, oh Allah, grant me patience. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa you are asking for bala. You're asking for a calamity. Because patience is usually practiced when there is a difficulty or a hardship. But rather ask for afiyah. So how do we re- reconcile between all these narrations and sayings? In, in Quran, Allah is saying, oh you have believed, do this. Seek Allah's help through patience and through prayer. So how do we reconcile this? You learn that sabr, it's patience, 
It's perseverance. There is a positive element of what patience there is. So ulama have divided this into three. They're like there is sabr on, um, on bala. Like you have faced a situation. Yes, of course you are supposed to be patient. But then there is also sabr al ta'at, being patient on the obedience and sabr al being patient and refraining from the sins. That requires a certain amount of commitment and resolve. So. This element of patience needs to be applied on ibadah as well. Yeah, I mean, who does not find attraction towards sins? Are you attracted to sins? <laughs> I am, right? Like, simple. I will entice them to sins. I will beautify sins for them. Prophet told something, hellfire is surrounded by temptations. Why are these why are, why is temptation called a temptation? Because you're tempted towards it. Right? Yeah, you are. So this is where patience is required. You are there to worship Allah. For that patience is required. That means now Fajr is early, getting up early, it requires perseverance. Now that Isha is late, that requires you sacrificing your sleep. That means practicing a little bit of patience. Because that ibadah, it needs continuous patience. So like that has to be part and parcel of your life. So that's one element, sabr. Number two, I think this is more critical than anything else. You want to go on to live your life with the purpose that you were created? You cannot do that without ilm. How do you worship Allah? No matter if I want to Pray Fajr right now I can't do Fajr Unless it's Qada Like I slept in today <laughs> Unless that's Fajr for Qada I cannot do tomorrow's Fajr right now Alright So They're simple Like How do you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That worship in itself That ibadah Cannot be fulfilled Unless There is the requirement of ilm And that's why What's the What's the What's the ruling of seeking ilm? Mandatory, okay. So where do we get to this ruling that it is mandatory to seek ilm? Good, ibadah is mandatory, so it makes ilm automatically mandatory. So you have the qa'idah, you have this principle in, in the books of fiqh and usul al-fiqh, the principles of jurisprudence that ma la wajibu illa wajib. If you cannot fulfill an obligation except if you have to do an action and that's the only way to fulfill it, then that thing takes the default ruling of being mandatory. Your purpose of existence is ibadah. That ibadah cannot be done, completed without ilm. Like you have to know who Allah is. You have to know how we worship, how you have to do wudu, how you have to do salah, how you have to recite Quran properly. So all these things are required. They they need you to do to to gain knowledge. So ilm automatically takes the ruling of an obligation. This is an exam same thing as tahara and prayer, purification and prayer. You know prayer is wajib. Prayer is an absolute must to do. But what's the hukum ruling of tahara? Prayer cannot happen without purification. You need to have wudu in order to pray. Can you pray without wudu? 
You can. So what's the default rolling of wudu? It's an obligation. You have to have it. It's a precondition. Similarly, ibadah cannot take place without ilm. And helms, if you need to fulfill your ibadah, you need to have ilm. So how do you seek ilm? So, ibadah, two things. Sabr, ilm. Now you come to ilm. So, subhanAllah, only five people here are learning Arabic right now? Out of a crowd of how many people? About, what, 100 people here? Out of five only were learning Arabic? There should be more. Because since I'm on that principle that مَا لَا الْوَاجِبُ إِلَّا بِهِ Like whatever helps you get to the wajib and you need to fulfill that, it automatically becomes wajib. It automatically becomes an obligation. Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, he said, learning Arabic is wajib too. Why? Quran is in Arabic. Understanding the Quran is a must, isn't it? Right? Understand. How would you understand? Okay. Understanding deen is a must for everyone. How would you do it if you don't? So, okay. This is his opinion, right? <coughs> and of course, there are other opinions. But I'm just sharing this out there to motivate that, you know, it's a stepping stone. Learning is a continuous process. So we come to, we defined, ibadah needs two things, ilm and um, sabr. How do you take ilm? It requires two things again. And inshallah, I'm going to finish this on, on this topic. Ilm, you need patience. Ilm, you need books. No. You need ulama. Because our definition of ilm is a little different. It's knowledge, it's not information. Our definition of ilm is it's taken, it's understood, it's internalized, and it's applied. That's what ilm is. And so let me come to the second point first. In order to get ilm, you have to get yourself connected with ulama. Because the clear hadith of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Inna Allah la yaqbidu al-ilma intiza'an Allah will not take away ilm by snatching it from the hearts of people This will not simply happen How will Allah take away ilm? Taking away ulama People of knowledge What will happen when people of knowledge are taken away? Ittakhadha nasu ru'usan juhalim People will make the ignorance and the fools as their imams, as their leaders. And then Fasu'ilu, they will be asking them, these people, okay, what's the fatwa for this? What's the fatwa for this? And they will write, They will reply and they will answer without knowledge. They themselves, first of all, are astray. They will lead other people astray. So, clear hadith. Towards the end of times, Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is saying, Allah will take away ulama. And that's how ilm will be lifted. So connect yourself. I will come into the questions in a minute. This is an important one. Connect yourselves with people of true, true knowledge. You know, if you need a doctor, you will do your research as to who you go to. Similarly, take your deen seriously because you need to worship Allah. That's the purpose you're created. And then backtracking from there, ilm, look for a true person of knowledge. Right. Ask them where they have studied, who they have studied, what they have studied. Scrutinize them. 
Because the day and age we are living in, and extremely being frank, a lot of people under the disguise of being religious leaders are put in these positions. Be careful. Imam Ibn Sadeen, one of the great Tabi'is, remember Tabi'i is the student of the Sahaba. He said, Look at who you take your deen from. Look at that person. You need to have a connection with that person. You need, that person has to be accessible to you. Because this is so sacred to only our religion. Why is this so sacred to our religion and no one else? Because we have a silsila, we have a thing called isnad, chains. I learned from this person who learned from this person tracing back all the way to Prophet Everything is taught from person to person to person. Alright? None of the other religions have this. This is unique to us. So when you are taking away that linkage to the Prophet that's how ilm will get, be getting lost. So first, how do you get ilm? Ulama. And second thing is, you need sabr on ilm as well. So just like you need sabr on ibadah, you need sabr on ilm. Today, what happens when you, like, and I give this example very regularly. You announce that, we're got, you know, you got motivated today. Arabic class, beginning next Saturday. Mashallah, I'm, I'm sure this, this place will be more packed than it is today. The next week, half the people will drop out. The week after, one quarter. Think about any any place. This is not just. I'm not, I'm not just pointing here. I'm just taking a case study. Same thing with any place. You announce, okay. Let's learn how to recite Quran, and like, what's the shame in learning how to recite Quran and how to learn how to recite Quran properly? Even if a person has passed fifty years of age, how old were the Sahaba when they learned it? Right. So okay, I didn't do it in my youth. I couldn't get the opportunity. Now I have the time. Now I have the. I I I have access to it. So what happens again? You announce that there will be a halakha, there will be a youth gathering, people will show up. But as soon as you get some serious stuff going, okay, let's do this in a structured, methodical way, which we do it week after week, you know, you'll see the numbers dwindling. So that's not, like, that's, that's not a commitment to ilm. No one will get ilm like that. Because we have been accustomed to like, okay, give me one minute breakdown version. You know, subhanAllah, after Jummas is when, you know, you have the most exposure to the community. That's when everyone's questions come out. Right? Okay. Think about this. After Jummah, we have Sheikh Jamal here, right? As an imam with you. Sheikh Abdul Wahab. How much time do they have after Jummah? You know, someone is asking them, a ruling on this. Someone is asking them, I'm going through a divorce. Someone is asking them, can you come to a lunch event tomorrow? Someone's asking them, where do I find the batteries to the speakers? Like four people with four different perspectives happening all at once. So people are accustomed to, oh, I need answers right now, right there. So this is not how ilm will be gained. Like we are not, we live in like, the era of Instagram reels, right? 30 second snippets. That's not how ilm will be internalized. Because remember, for us, it's not like knowing stuff. 
right? He said this and she said this and they said this and that person said this. For that is, okay, you have all this information, how is that practically applied in your life? What's the result of it? So there has to be some serious commitment towards ilm as well. Okay, and ilm itself is an act of worship, which you get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with. And I think we can stress more about this topic, inshallah, sometime later. I do want to open up for questions and answers right now. They will pass away and then there will be no one to replace them. Good. So today this concept is like, okay, we have so many people learning and there's an influx of students. There are two things that will happen. When ulama, when alim passes away, the knowledge that is with them, it's, it's gone with them. Unless there's a person who is ready to replace them. And what, what happens is, and you got to ask this question to someone other than myself. Like, I'm still a student of knowledge. I'm still a talibah. Like, I feel there is such a gap between me and my teachers. There's such a big gap between me and my teachers. Like, when they pass away, I'm not ready to be... I'm not ready to fill in their shoes. And you remember, due to COVID, a lot of, a lot of God-fearing ulama have passed away. And with them, the whole element, this chunks of treasures of knowledge has gone. And you ask any of their students, and that's why go ask <coughs> students who have studied Islam seriously. Are you ready to take their place? None of them will say they're ready. Or they're, they, they even feel they're trained enough to be taking their place. So when you have this void and gap, the trickle-down effect will happen. Any other questions? When is it considered? So you're talking about the Nafal Artikaf? So the question is, when is it considered Artikaf in the Masjid? So when you come um, to the masjid, just by your intention saying, Oh Allah, for however long, again, intention is a process of the heart. However long I'm here in this masjid, uh, you know, let, it, let this be i'tikaf. But remember, technically i'tikaf is seclusion. I'tikaf is like you are there in the masjid by yourself, right? Just connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fiqhi definition of i'tikaf is one day, one night, right? which is the cycle of 24 hours. And the sunnah of i'tikaf that which people do for the last days of Ramadan starts on the 21st before Maghrib till the moon of Eid is sighted. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Uh, you said earlier that you should ask for a uh, afiyah instead of a sabah. Yeah. But uh, do you ask for sabah during our time? So there is the dua in Quran which is Rabbana afrigh alayna sabaram wa tawaffana muslimin. Right, which is, oh Allah, bestow sabr upon me and let me die amongst the Muslims. So ulama have written that that should be made when you're going through a difficulty or calamity and you know, are distressed, which you really need sabr, you should ask. However, in general circumstances, it is better to ask Allah for afiyah. What is afiyah? Afiyah is the overall well-being. 
right? And afia again is a very broad concept. It's like well-being in your religion, well-being in your life, family, everything is good. So, but again, the ulama who have written, if you are asking sabr, not on a not in response to like a bala, but you're asking, oh Allah, let me be patient. Better word would be steadfast. Oh Allah, grant me sabat. Right? Rather than using the word sabr, use the word sabat. Oh Allah, grant me sabat. Right? You, um, the hadith, Ya muqallib al-qulub, sabbit qalbi ala deenim. Oh, the turner of the hearts, make my heart steadfast on iman, on deen. So the question is like if someone is serious about studying and they come at this crossroad whether they should focus on memorizing the Quran or studying the sciences, what should they do? What should they do? That's a question? Okay. Depending on the age of that person, I will answer that question differently. So if they have passed that age of college, like they are in their professions, the answer I would give them is both these things should be your lifelong missions. Meaning memorizing Quran and studying deen. If they have not gone past the age of college, then I would recommend them to focus on memorizing the Quran. First step, like if you're serious, memorize the Quran. Because memorizing the Quran in itself helps you understand knowledge and understand deen better and at a more accelerated pace than not memorizing the Quran. All right, but like if you have moved on from the college stage, then I would recommend have both these things as your lifelong mission. You know, there is the element of kifaya, which is like the communal obligation, and then there is this element of your personal study. When you come comes to personal study, just like ibadah does not stop until you get to certainty, ilm does not stop until you get to certainty. Right? They say that learn ilm from ma'had to la'ad, from cradle to grave. So same thing with the people who, are, who aspire to memorize Quran. Some people, some people think, okay, I've passed the stage, I cannot no longer be a candidate to memorize in Quran. And again, this is a false perception that we need to change. You decide today, you show some real commitment. Alhamdulillah, there are many adults who are memorizing Quran. Wallahi, a friend of my father, 65 years of age, started memorizing Quran and finished memorizing Quran. Right? So, and if you want to know, like there's always examples of inspiration that you can find. Um, so for Qiraat, um, just to say this example, one of my teachers, Sheikh Hamid bin Akram Bukhari, who we said hadith from, he goes like, he was like, I knew of a person personally, at the age of 65, not only did he start memorizing the Quran, he said, I want to do Qiratul Ashr. You know how hard that is? Those 10, mastering the 10 modes of recitation. He was like, it took him three years, right? To, to, in order to master that, there is 1,000 lines of poetry. 1,000 lines of poetry that you need to know inside out. He said he took one line per day. 
Three years. It took him only three years to get to that stage. But again, small, little, consistent efforts. Yes. Um, what, what advice would you give to somebody? Would you rather have them prioritize memorizing the Quran or trying to understand it? Again, the, depending on the age they're at, they're at um, if, if they have not passed the college age, memorize the Quran. So t- traditionally, you know, the reason why these questions are coming is because there are gaps. Like the, the culture that we have lived in, the place we have grew, grown up in, there are gaps. Traditionally, think about any language that a person learns. When do, peop- when do, people, when do children start um, reciting alphabets? As soon as they're talking. T- technically, the qaida was supposed to be introduced as soon as they started talking. And then, moving on slowly to the recitation of the Qur'an. Then to the memorization of the Qur'an. Then to the understanding of the Qur'an. Then, a, 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 a continuous journey of associating yourself with the Qur'an. Today, you have people in that whole age group skip step one, step two, get to step three. Oh, and that, that's fine. Like At a particular age, at the age of 20 or 25, you have to take all those things simultaneously. That's fine. That's not a problem. But if you're younger than that, you know, prioritize. You know, knowledge is just like, you know, you're teaching a child. It has to be done in steps. There is no elevators to knowledge. Like, think about this. SubhanAllah, this was drilled down to us in Medina. Like, you know, start with the basics. Start with the basics. And there is no shame in starting with the basics. Allah, Allah, another disconnect that we see is like people who are like, okay, I'm done. I've graduated. I've memorized the Quran. That is it. That is not it. Right? So even if they've done memorization of the Quran in grade 7th grade, 8th grade, that's not it. They need to understand the Quran. Right? That journey, that whole curriculum of development, it needs to be happening continuously. Is it Isha time? Alright, Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika, ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu.